call them to mind amongst all the nations where the Lord your God has driven you. Return to the Lord your God and you and your children. And you obey the voice and all that I command you today with all of your heart and all of your soul. Then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes and he will have mercy upon you. And he will gather you again from all the peoples where the Lord your God has scattered you. And if your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there the Lord your God will gather you. And from there he will take you. And the Lord your God will bring you into the land that your fathers possessed. That you may possess it. And he will make you more prosperous and numerous than your fathers and the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul that you may live. And the Lord your God will put all these cursings on your foes and the enemies will persecute you. And you shall again obey the voice of the Lord and keep all of his commands that I command you today. Your God will make you abundantly prosperous in all the work of your hands in the fruit of your womb and in the fruit of your cattle and in the fruit of your ground. For the Lord will take again delight in prospering you as he took delight in your fathers when you obey the voice of the Lord your God to keep his commandments and his statutes that are written in this book of the law when you turn to the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul. Father, we pray that as we have read this precious word, God, that you would speak to us through it, lead us to the cross of Christ Jesus. Lord, and I pray it now in his precious name. Amen and amen. You may be seated, please. And the reading of those verses this morning, in handling God's word, in some way we should tremble and we should rejoice at the sheer power and scope of this message, the sheer power and scope of the Word of God that we handle and hold. And as I was reading these verses, this one title came to mind, The Gathering of the Misfits. Gathering the Misfits. See, my verses for today will be found in verses 3 and 4, which hover around this idea that God has not only scattered His people, but he has also gathered them into his care. This word from the Lord that I have shared has been spread before our heart and mind today with the intentions for many of us of putting us in our rightful place. God's word is bitter and, and sweet. It's bitter and yet sweet. God's word has a way of where we can digest it, enjoying the sweetness of the words and then simultaneously putting us in our place. Sometimes we need a good spiritual attitude adjustment, don't we? And it is good to remember who we are in light of Christ and the humility that we enter into when we are in light of Christ. And a proper examination of our position in Jesus, it is a great reminder that we're all misfits and people struggling with sin who who have been saved by the grace of Jesus. What makes us, what makes us perfect in ourselves? Nothing. What makes us perfectly righteous? Jesus. Jesus. 
Last week, we examined what lies at the root of our heart. Like Moses implored the people, he asked them, commanded them, in fact, to turn from the poison of their idol worship. Turn from your idols and pursue the Lord God. Love Him with all of your being. And so we, we took examination, and I challenged you last week to take inventory. I challenged you to take an inventory and mark those potential idols in your life. And just so you'll know that I participated as well, here are some of Pastor Larry's potential idols. And I don't mind sharing them with you. See at the top on the list. Now, I'm not going to go through these. You can see the bold. The very first one is, is, is fishing. And on through there, you see I've, I have marked four idols and have marked them out and have wrote out each of them. Good things, good things that can become an idol. Okay, Tim, you can go past that. So I challenge you to take an inventory Idolatry in this respect would be taking a good thing and making it a God thing. Taking a good thing and making it a God thing in your life. It can be tough. It can be challenging. But it is helpful for us to identify and press forward. Now this week Moses he continues his instructions. He knows his days are short. In just a few more verses, we'll find the death of Moses. And Joshua will pick up the pen and carry on the rest of Deuteronomy. And he'll carry on into the book that bears his name, the history of Joshua, the history of the people. He continues instructing them. And what I really love about Moses is Moses, even though he is flawed, there are characteristics of a good leader in Moses. What are these characteristics that we find in Moses? There is a sense within Moses and with any good leader of posterity and not just being consumed in the moment. A good leader will strive to protect the future even if he or she is not going to be in it. A good leader will strive for the posterity and protect the future even though they might not be in it. So Moses issued blessings and cursings from the Lord and there was a call to the people to obey them wholeheartedly. He says, then the Lord will restore your fortunes and he will show compassion on you. He will gather you from amongst the people where he had scattered you. He will be merciful as you draw near to him. And if I would, could lay this out in some colloquial language for you today, it would be something like, quit trying to do it your own way. Quit trying to do it without the wisdom of God Almighty. Quit trying to press on in life without the instructions that God has given for us to press on. And the Lord will fulfill what he has promised. And you will know what, is like, what it is like to rightfully worship Him. You will be prosperous in your life when you chase after the Lord. When you pursue Him with your whole being, you will prosper. Now, this prosperity is not marked by money. 
It's not marked by land. It's not marked by prestige. But by growing in your faith in Jesus. That's how we prosper. It isn't about having things as much as it is having Jesus as our treasure and growing in Him and in our faith. But we see the commands that God gives. They're not confusing. God's Word is not confusing. It is not this puzzle. It is not some type of word code. God's Word is clear. God's Word is clear, and He wants you to know it. It is not confusing. It is not enigmatic. It is not ethereal. It is special in its revelatory power. He has given us revelation. Look at verse 12. It says, God's word, His commands, they aren't in the heavens. So you ask, well, who will go up to heaven for us and get it for us so that we can hear it and act on it? Rhetorically, it's not in the heavens. Are they beyond the seas? Will you go down into the depths of the sea to find God's word? Will you have to cross the oceans? No. We have to cross the sea to get it so that we can hear? No. The word is very near to you. It is within your mouth, it is within your heart, for you and I, it is before our eyes. And if we have learned God's Word, it is in our mind, and it is in our heart as well, if we have learned God's Word. So, we should be ashamed of ourselves when the Word of God is so easily accessible, we spend so little time in it. God isn't going to take your head and open it up like it's a container. And He isn't going to pour His Word in your heart and in your head like He's pouring a pitcher of Kool-Aid. But then again, when I think about this in our culture that we live in, that's the very ideal of this consumeristic culture that we live in. God, I come to church. Is that good enough? God, I come to Sunday school. Isn't that good enough? Why do I have to spend the discipline of biblical intake? Why do I have to learn God's Word? He says, walk in His ways so that you live a life that is consumed with the person and the work of the Lord in your life. Choose life, He says, so that it might go well with you, your children. Love the Lord your God. Obey His voice. Cling to Him because He is your life even your long life, so that you may live in the land that the Lord promised to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In other words, pursue God with all you have. Pursue Christ with all of your energy. In the words of 19th century theologian John Frederick Maurice, he said, The great lesson that the fathers are to teach their children is that God will be present and living guide of each succeeding race as much as He has been to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. As much as God has led His people through the wilderness by cloud and by fire, so He will lead us today by His blessed Holy Spirit and through the Word, the testimony of who God is in His Word. So these are promises found in God's Word, that for you and I, they become like a, like a balm on a, on a sore, new sporin on a, on a scratched elbow, refreshing. It becomes like a cool drink of water 
when the soul is dry and parched. You ever been to those places where, where you have reached a, 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 some spiritual dryness in your life? And the Word of God is like that cool drink of water, the oasis that your soul needs because it's parched and you need refreshing. I've been there. Look with me in, the, in verse 3. This is our examination for the day. Verse 3 and then verse 4. Once God's people began to pursue and follow His Word, we are reminded that God gathers the once scattered. God begins to gather the once scattered. And by the way, the very core meaning of church is an assembly. God has gathered His people to worship in one place, to lift our voices. And we can meet anywhere and worship the Lord God. We can raise our voices on the ditch bank. We can raise our voices in the grocery store. We can raise our voices and praise God anywhere. But we've consecrated this very place so that you and I can raise our voices and praise God and learn what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. God gathers the once scattered. Look at verse 3. Then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes and He will have mercy on you. If you write in your Bible, underscore having mercy on you. And He will gather you again from all the peoples where the Lord your God has scattered you. Now imagine these people are reading this and they're like, whoa, hold on Moses, what is this? What are you talking about where God has scattered you? We're here, we're about to go in. What are you talking? What are you talking about? So it becomes very prophetic to their ears. They were scattered. They were assembled in Egypt. God has brought them out of Egypt, and they're at the very threshold of walking into the promised land, marching into the promised land, fulfilling the promise of the Lord God. The theme of scattering and gathering is a running theme through the grand narrative of Scripture. Well, I challenge you, if you have a a concordance, or if you have a way to look up some words in your Bible, maybe you have electronically, I challenge you to type in these words, scattering and gather, or to scatter and gather. It is a running theme through the grand narrative of Scripture. So if you allow me just a moment or two, I want to walk through a few places, a few guideposts in the grand narrative of Scripture and mark out a few places where we find this scattering and gathering and this grand vision where God is going to gather all His people in this one great big time of worship that will last forever and ever and ever and ever. Now, the word gather occurs, if you read the English Standard Version of the Bible, it is 140 times this word gathered is found. It is 165 times in your King James Version of the Bible. In the totality of the ESV, 140 times this word gathered is used from Genesis to the book of Revelation. Now, counter to that, the word scattered occurs 66 times. Both of these acts are an act of God. Number one, the scattering is due to sin, disobedience, and sometimes persecution. So, scattering is due to sin, disobedience, and sometimes persecution. And gathering is a redemptive act. Both are an act of God. Scattering and gathering. A few highlights from Scripture should spark your memory. Genesis chapter 11, this great Tower of Babel. What did God do? 
He confounded the language and scattered the people groups. The Tower of Babel, where he dispersed the people and confounded the language. He dispersed them once again as the people were led into Babylonian captivity and exile to stay there for 70 years. And so when we read this, and again, all the peoples where the Lord God has scattered you, this comes to a very prominent place of history. Oh yeah, that's what he's talking about. We see in the book of Acts in chapter 8 where Saul went on a headhunt for Christ followers that were scattered. We pick up in the book of James, the very beginning. What does it say in the very beginning of the book of James? This book was written to the who? The dispersed, the scattered, the diaspora, the scattered. By the way, these scattered people, what were they doing? As they were scattering, they were making other gospel communities. God was using persecution to grow his church. In fact, it was the patristic uh, church father by the name of Tertullian that said that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Throughout church history, the persecuted church ran to the underground. They fled for their lives and were scattered. They fought against persecution in fact, we could say that the early church was the first members of the underground, where they were forced underground because of persecution, and they met and they worshiped in catacombs. And by the way, this level of persecution still happens today, if not more intense. But the Lord has begun a gathering of His people, not just on Sunday morning. The Lord has begun to gather His people by the precious work of Jesus, and one day, here's this grand vision. This is what John saw on the Isle of Patmos. As John was writing in this Roman mining community, exiled, where they thought that John the baptizer was going to die on the Isle of Patmos, but he, he, lived a, he lived a very, very long life. And God gave him a vision of this grand collection of his people, this grand gathering. It's found in Revelation chapter 7 and verse 9 and 10. I'm going to read these words to you, okay? So listen carefully. This is this grand gathering. John the Revelator says, And after this I beheld a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. This time with the palm branches in their hand, they are not saying, God save us now, Hosanna. They are crying out, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne. He's not sitting on a donkey, is he? He's sitting on the throne and to the Lamb. This grand and beautiful picture of God collecting and gathering all people groups from across the globe. Doesn't matter their language. Doesn't matter their skin tone. Doesn't matter where they're from. God is going to gather his people. Look at verse 3 with me. After they are reminded of the imperative to follow the command, the Lord gave to Moses, he says, God will restore your fortunes, but most importantly, he will have mercy on you. I love this word mercy and how it is highlighted, highlighted in God's word. Because I almost want to say that God will extend his mercy to you. God will amplify his mercy to, to you. 
I would go as far as to say that God has shown them mercy by the very fact that they are still breathing. So God is extending his mercy to them. And he's extended his mercy to us. Think of all the flaws. I made, a, I made an inventory of my idols. Imagine if the Lord wasn't merciful. I wouldn't be here today. Most of us in here wouldn't be. Once again, he will gather his misfits. I'm glad to be a misfits of Jesus. All right? I'm glad to be a misfit. You and I live in an era of history where God is gathering his people from all walks of life, from every part of the world. We are his misfits. We were lost, we were undone, and we still struggle with sin. We still struggle with turmoil in this life. And somehow, even in all of our perfections, we still think that we are a step above other people. We are not better than anybody else. You know that God has called us to help with this gathering process? Now, we're not going to gather the people, you and I, but God has called us out. But because of sin, people are still scattered, and they are far from God. You and I, as Christ followers, we're called to what? In the Great Commission. Go and help gather. We are also called to go and make disciples. Jesus said this to his disciples. You will recall in Matthew 9 and verse 37, 38. Very familiar verse. Hope you know this. Jesus said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest and send out laborers into his harvest. That's you and me. We, we use these verses often when we're highlighting Lottie Moon, when we're highlighting Annie Armstrong, when we're highlighting missions, and then we somehow gloss over them like they are for missionaries that are halfway across the world when, when we're his disciples. There are people all around us who don't know Jesus, who do not know Christ, who are not plugged into a local church at all. And a majority of them would come and sit and hear a sermon if they just had somebody to invite them. I began to ask this question of some of our neighbors in our neighborhood, scattered around, and I wonder to myself, we began to kind of think through this big question, what if you and I, who are called to go, what if we went to these people around us, people we don't know, we have no contact with hardly at all, what if we went to these people and shared the gospel with them? What if we went up to these, these trailers up here and, and shared the gospel with these people up here? What if we went to them? What if they trusted Jesus? And what if they wanted to attend Piney Grove? What if they wanted to come here and join fellowship with Piney Grove? How would they be received? How would they be received? Would they be rejected based upon their ethnicity? And if the answer is yes, listen, friends, we have some serious work to do. If our black and brown friends, our neighbors, decided to come to Piney Grove and become a member, what would you do? If that answer is anything less, then walk with them, disciple them, 
serve next to them, then you need to repent today. Now, don't just say this. They aren't like us, preacher. They just aren't like us. Can you imagine? Can you imagine if Jesus would have said some ignorant mess like that? None of us are like Jesus. Look, this wretched sinner, he's just not like me. I've got no time to redeem him. Imagine if Jesus pushed us away like we push other people away. Jesus has called all types of misfits, all types of sinners, called them to himself. And I was one of the chiefest. So we go, we gather without discrimination. Now, I know some of you may not like what I've just said. Okay? And you may not like what I just said. And I can live with that. But I will challenge you. My office is open. My phone stays on. You go home. You take this Bible. And you search the scriptures where Jesus would have said, Salvation only belongs to a certain group of people. That we are not to fellowship with other believers in some way because of their skin color, because of their language, because of their ethnicity. You go home and you find that in your Bible and we'll sit down together and we'll go through God's Word. In other words, very easily, you take it up with, the, you take it up with God. You take it up with the Lord. Have you ever thought this? Listen to me carefully on it, okay? Have you ever thought this? Maybe the reason that our churches, plural, churches, are declining or plateauing is because we are discriminating the gospel in some way. Maybe this is why our churches are declining. This is, maybe this is why they're plateauing or, or falling off. Somehow we think that the gospel is only for white people. Verse 4, if you're outcast, and by the way, we are all outcast. If you're outcast or in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there the Lord your God will gather you, and from there he will take you. And even though this message is to Israel, there is an eternal tone to this. Here's the tone, the tone again. I looked, here's the tone. I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could count, no one could number. They were like the sand of the sea from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb clothed in white robes washed by the blood of the Lamb and they held within their hands palm branches and sang salvation belongs to the one who sits on the throne. At this gathering all people will be one. And I am glad that I am a misfit and outcast saved by the grace of Jesus. What I am saying is this. The body, you and I, should match the head who is Jesus. You and I, who are the body, should match the divine head who is Jesus. And if we say that we love Jesus, if we harbor bitterness, if we harbor discrimination... If we harbor anything against any people group, then you and me, we are the epitome of hypocrisy. 
This year, uh, the Chicken Ball Festival had an opportunity to fellowship a little bit down the Chicken Ball Festival. There was a cutout of a chicken on display. People could come up and they could uh, put their head through the little cutout hole and and it's there for a photo opportunity. You photo op, you put your head through, take a funny picture. And you may remember putting your face above a headless frame, a, a muscle man, a clown. If you go through the aquarium, they got these big crabs that you could put your face in and take a, take a funny picture. Many of us have, have taken pictures this way. And they're, and they're funny because, why, why are they funny? Because the head doesn't fit the body. It's funny. Now, if you could picture Christ as the head of our local church, Christ as the head of Piney Grove Baptist Church, or any local body of believers, would the world laugh at the misfit? Or would they pay attention because the body so closely resembled the divine head? Church, we have work to do in aiding, in gathering, Discipling, the question for you and I is this. Are you ready to get your hands dirty without prejudice? Let's pray.